If you find Isaiah and Jeremiah, then Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. If you hit Daniel, you've gone too far. Ezekiel chapter 34. When most people think about the book of Ezekiel, they they often have two sections of scripture that are usually prevalent in their mind. Um, Ezekiel seeing the wheel within a wheel with the eyes all around it and the four beasts or four creatures with four different heads on it. They usually think of that passage or they think about the passage where uh, Ezekiel is in the valley with the dry bones. Those are two of the more familiar passages in this book. Um, But overall, I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with the book of Ezekiel. It's just not something that we just readily study all the time. Um, but I think if you, if you sit back and you think, well, why in the world are we thinking about shepherding from the book of Ezekiel? Uh, isn't that kind of like a New Testament thought? Isn't that something that's more modern? And that's a good question to ask, but I would say that shepherding is not a New Testament thought singularly. It is a God thought. And from the beginning of time, God has spoken about shepherding. He has spoken about uh, spiritual leaders leading and guiding um, those who are under their care. And God has always been in the business of, of two major things, shepherding his people and defending and exalting his glory. And these two things ring out in Ezekiel. There's a... Uh, a singer that I really like, kind of a folk uh, storytelling Christian artist named Andrew Peterson. And in a song that he wrote, he said, a thing resounds when it rings true. I thought that was kind of an interesting thought. If you have a bell and you hit it just right, when it rings true, it's going to resound with sound. And my prayer today is that the truth that is from Ezekiel would resound loudly in this place and in our hearts. So not just not just something to, for us to practice hearing the word of God, but for us to practice doing the word of God and going from this place, understanding the, the Bible uh, more clearly as it resounds in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, from the scripture, you, you see constantly that God is the only one worthy of all glory and all praise. He's the only one worthy of all of our worship. And he will not sit idly by and let his glory go to another one. Therefore, he goes after the lost and the straying, and he goes after after those who who he is pursuing to to make his name great and to make his glory shine through them in their hearts so that he is made more not more glorious, but more glorious in their hearts and in their minds. Um, God is the, the great the great shepherd. He is is the one that we worship and adore. But here in Ezekiel, we start off with a, uh, a, it's a dark passage. It starts off in a a not positive way. It's not a happy beginning. And really, I think it's a stark warning to the elders that are in the room. Um, Those who have been called to be pastors of God's church, it is a warning and a, a challenge to us and it begins darkly in judgment, but, I love how the Bible often has a but, but it ends with a glorious hope of a true shepherd, a true and faithful shepherd. Um, so we ask, you know, I've heard over and over again about 
pastors preaching on the passages in Scripture that talk about shepherding. And so why, do we, why does the Bible use this, this analogy of shepherding? Why not another analogy? Why don't we hear more about like a, a father and a child or a parent and a child? And we do hear some of that, but the majority is a shepherd and the sheep. And I heard someone once say that the shepherd and sheep analogy is actually better because a child eventually grows up and they don't really need their parents as much anymore. But a shepherd always, or a sheep always needs their shepherd. Sheep always need to be guided to, to greener pastures and to, to clear water. But hopefully one day my kids will grow up and they won't need me as much anymore. But they and I will always need a shepherd. We will always need to be guided. And before we read this passage, let's, let's think about a little bit of context because we don't just jump into Ezekiel and just know where, where we're at. Um, Israel, as we know, has struggled on and off since the birth of the nation with idolatry. They have played with the pagan nations around them and, and introduced and, and embraced the cultures around them, which led to idolatry on and off and on and off. And God sent judges and prophets and he raised up kings, yet the kings, multiple kings, were, were evil and wicked kings. And then there were some that would call the people back to, to true worshiping God, but then the very next king would just undermine and demolish all of that again. King Solomon had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines. And they led the nation of Israel in that time away from God. And they even led Solomon himself away from true worship of God. And God promised that Solomon's successor would rule a smaller kingdom and that the rest of the tribes would, would rule um, or follow a different king. And that was like lesson one that God taught Israel when it came to idolatry. As soon as Solomon's reign came to an end, the nation of Israel split, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And they continued to follow after pagan idolatry over and over again. And the next lesson that God brought was the northern kingdom would fall into captivity of the Assyrians. So it divided in 931 BC, and then the northern kingdom Israel fell in uh, 722 BC to the Assyrian captivity. And next, Judah, the southern kingdom, fell finally to Babylonian captivity in 586 BC. Three lessons that God brought to the nation of Israel that all centered around them breaking three of the Ten Commandments. No other gods, no idols, and honoring the Lord's name. Israel rejected the covenant that God had made with them. They broke uh, the covenant and they rejected God and said, and God said, well then therefore I'm going to remove you from my presence. But he did it for the purpose of bringing them back one day so that they, they and all the nations around them would know that the Lord is God. What an interesting thought. He allowed them to be scattered and taken into captivity. Think of, of a nation coming and attacking the United States and us being drawn into slavery or into captivity in a foreign land, foreign language, foreign food, places you don't know, customs you don't, you don't understand. How, how lost and how alone would you feel? This is where we find Ezekiel. He was actually taken in one of the waves 
of the Babylonians attacking Jerusalem. The first wave took Daniel, another prophet that we know of. They took Daniel at that time. But then the second wave came and and Ezekiel was taken. And then the third wave finally came in in 586 and destroyed Jerusalem and and, uh, destroyed the temple. And finally the exile had, had accomplished. It had been finished, basically. And we find Ezekiel stuck in a foreign land around a foreign people with, with Israelites scattered all abroad. And there's some people around him, but he's, for the most part, in a foreign place. And the future looks grim. For the first 33 chapters before this one, there's no hope. God is condemning and he is telling them, look, you have broken what I have, what I have uh, set up. You have rejected me. You are, you are standing and living in rebellion. And I've allowed this to happen so that you may know that I am the Lord. So that my glory would one day be reinstated in your minds and that you would not follow after idolatry ever again. And this is where we find Ezekiel. But Ezekiel's a priest. So think about that. What does a priest do when he's separated from the temple? That's his job, that's his livelihood. But God calls him and says, you are going to be my prophet. And you're going to suffer some hard things. And those things are going to be lessons for the people of Israel that see you and the people that are around you. And your life is going to be the lesson of my plan. And there's, there's lots of, of crazy things that happen to Ezekiel. And I would, in, I would encourage you to go back and to, to read through it and see the, the journey that God takes Ezekiel on as he is the, the prophet and the uh, the, the leader of God's people. He's the one bringing God's message to them. But know that this passage, like most of the other prophets, minor and major, in the Old Testament, they start with judgment, but there's always a glimmer of hope. There's always the promise of a savior or a shepherd to come who will rescue the people. And so as we read through this, this, this judgment, let us look as the, the tide changes and the hope is introduced. Let us look to that hope. Let us look to that Savior who is to come. So let's read this chapter, Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, or woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. But the shepherds have fed themselves, and have not fed my sheep. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search out my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall their grazing land, shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd." And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Verse 25. And I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land, so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their seasons. And they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no more, no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my sheep, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. It's a long passage. Um, and as we start out the passage, we see in verses 1 through 10, our first point. The shepherds failed to uphold the glory of God. And the first thing that we read in this passage is very interesting. The word of the Lord came to me, 
And then it says, thus says the Lord God. We hear God speaking right away. And even though Israel has rejected the Lord, they have set up idols in in the place of where God should be. It is a sign of grace that God still speaks to them. Even when the speaking is judgment. You see that God has not forsaken them. And we see in in 2 Timothy 2.13 that passage that says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He had set his love on these people, and even though they had rebelled against him, he did everything he could to bring them back. And he did everything to show them that he was the Lord God. And he will not deny himself. He had promised them that they were his, and he was going to show them they were his. The shepherds failed to meet the needs of the people, though. Rather, they used the people for their own personal gain. They failed to take special care of those in need, the helpless. As we see through here, just bullet points. They, they, fed, the flock, or they fed themselves while the flock starved. They neglected to strengthen the weak. They did not heal the sick. They did not bind up the injured. They did not bring the strayed ones back. They did not seek the lost ones. And they ruled with force and with harshness. Now, if you were a sheep in that, that sheepfold, would you want that shepherd? That shepherd did not do his job. That shepherd did not lead the, the sheep like he was supposed to. And the effect is seen in, in the later passage, later verses. The sheep were scattered. They became food for the wild beasts. They wandered, and they had none to search or seek them out. We see some familiar passages or similar passages to this one in Jeremiah 50. My people have been lost sheep. The shepherds have led them astray, turning away, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Israel is a hunted sheep driven away by lions. First the king of Assyria devoured him, and now, last, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has gnawed his bones. Similar passages and similar ideas. The shepherds sought to to please themselves and to make their name great and to, to broaden their, their uh, popularity. But they did it to the detriment of the sheepfold. They found profit in idolatry and even in religion itself. You could almost say they worshipped religion. They worshipped worship. They were all about the next God that they could find to worship and to the next best thing coming down the the road. But they had left their true love. They had left the one who had called them. And it's interesting that the the ones whose whole life was to be devoted to the temple and the service of the Lord, they traded all of that for material benefit. And we see in this passage at verses 9 and 10, that God brings or speaks a judgment against them. He says that I am against the shepherds. The ones that had been called out, God now rejects. And he says, I'm against you. That is the last thing that I would ever want to hear. 
Not only has the nation gone into exile, but now God has said that he's against the very ones who are to know his word and guide his people. And he holds the blood of the people against the shepherds. He says, I will require my sheep at their hand. He puts their blood on the shepherds. Their lives he accounted to the lives of the shepherds. And he puts a stop to their feeding the sheep. God had done everything he could, or he is now doing everything to rescue the sheep from those that were leading them astray. And now think about this. Think about the nature of a flock of sheep. The shepherd is there to guide them to food because they, they need to eat. And sheep aren't smart enough to find it themselves. So the shepherd's there to guide them to, to green pastures. He's there to guide them to water so they may drink. He's there even to stand in between the, the predator and the prey because they are defenseless. They can't do anything. And so he's there to stand and fight off the lion or the bear or the, you know, whatever wild animal comes to, to attack the, the helpless, useless sheep. And he's even there to lay down his life for those sheep if that's what is necessary. But yet, these shepherds did not do that. In fact, they invited the wolves in. They invited the lions in. They allowed their flock to be scattered because they were too busy dealing with their own things and, and seeking after their own you know, benefit that they had left the sheep to suffer. The life of the shepherd is the sheep. His needs come secondarily to the needs of the flock. But their priorities were, were confused. They considered themselves more than the sheep. But let's turn to Jeremiah 23. This is what I would call a, a sister passage to the one that we're reading today. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. The prophet Jeremiah says something very similar to what Ezekiel said. He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Now watch this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and, the, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Even in this passage, God says, I'm done with the shepherds. They will no longer tend to the sheep. However, we see in this passage that he promises he will raise up sheep who will care for, or raise up shepherds who will care for the sheep. So, in Ezekiel 34, we can turn back there. The end of the shepherd is not found there. 
It may look like it from this passage, but God promises in other places and in the New Testament we see God has still risen up shepherds who will care for the sheep. But some may ask, is this harsh? Like, what if they just didn't know? And that that seems very naive. Because if God had called them, you would think that he would have told them what to do. And he did. Leviticus 26 mainly in verses 27 and 33, God gives the punishment for disobedience. And Leviticus was the book for the priests. It was basically like the job description or the field manual for the priesthood. And he says to them, But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. This is the very thing that God does. When they disobey and they lead the people astray, this is what God does. He calls the Assyrians to come in and destroy Israel, and he calls the Babylonians to come in, and they lay waste to the temple. And even the people that came and attacked said, we're not at fault because they left their God. He's made the enemies even appalled at the people of Israel and Judah. God does not take the sharing of his glory lightly. He is strict on his name being glorified. And I want us to think about this. There's something in this passage called, uh, David Platt calls gospel threads. Little, little strings of the gospel come shining through even here in the Old Testament. We see the character of God. He is the most glorious, most righteous, most awesome creator of all. And we are his creation. Therefore, he makes the rules and we live by them. But yet, we see another gospel thread, the sinfulness of man. He may be the glorious, righteous, holy creator, yet we have rebelled against that. And we have turned and, and, and put our back toward him and said, we don't want your rules. We don't want your, your ways. We want our own ways. And this is exactly what Israel did. But you and I, we are no different. Like the hymn writer wrote, we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God will not share his glory with a graven image or with a man-made God. Think about this for our day. We don't sit at home with idols sitting in our house, so to speak, like they did. But we do have idols. Our wealth, our job, our sports, hobbies, our family. Nothing is to be exalted above the glory of God. And when we begin to devote all of our time and energy to these things, we're no different than Israel, who even stood at the mountain of God where God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses up on the mountain, and they're down at the bottom, and they build a golden calf and say, this, O Israel, is your God who led you out of Egypt. 
Think about that. They had seen great and mighty things, and yet they still just build an idol right at the foot of the mountain where God is giving the Ten Commandments. So today, what we need to think about from this this passage so far is the battle is over the throne of our hearts. Today, in in this time, right now, the battle is over the throne of your heart. There is only one who deserves to sit on that throne. Only one who is for whom that throne is made, and that is Jesus Christ. Yet we allow idols to sit on that throne. As a parent with a three-year-old, sometimes my idol is to have a three-year-old who wants to be the, or I hope that she would be the perfect child. Why can't she just sit still while we're singing hymns and sing with us? <laughs> That's an idol sometimes. I have this exalted picture of what I want her to be, and sometimes I draw all my attention to it. Or the best job, or sometimes the favorite leisure time. Man, this is my time. Or theological prowess. I went to seminary. Or fame, or solitude, or happiness. And the list can go on. Our idols don't look like the idols in Israel's time, but they're idols nonetheless. And God demands the glory for which he is due, and he is the only one worthy of it. So for the elders in the church today, I want to speak to you for a moment that you and I are responsible to to lead the flock of God at redemption. Hebrews 13 says that we will be held accountable for the souls of the people in our care. Just as God held the shepherds accountable for Israel, so we are accountable to the members here. So, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And for the church, you have a responsibility to follow the shepherding of the elders. And in the same passage in Hebrews, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And so just as the elders will give an account for how they shepherd, you will give an account for how you followed their leading. As long as they are leading you to the glory of God, you should follow them. And if they don't, do not follow them. Hold them accountable to the truth of God's word. And elders, hold the church accountable to the truth of God's word. Think about the nature of sin. The nature of, of sin is it scatters. It divides. It breaks up families. It breaks up marriages. It divides friendships. And ultimately, sin divides man from God. Yet, God promises hope. God promises that he has made a way to draw us back to him. He has created a way for that separation to be to be filled in. There is a promised hope, a restoration of the glory of God, which is point number two. From 11 through 22, we see this. When the shepherds didn't do their job, God promises that I will step in and I will seek my my sheep out. This is God speaking. I will do all the things that they failed to do. Not only will he seek them out, but he will bring them into their own land 
So as Ezekiel sits in, in exile, in captivity, as he sits in a foreign land around foreign people with a, a foreign tongue and foreign foods and foreign culture, hearing this message is an encouragement of hope to him. God's going to bring us back to that which we are familiar with. But it's going to be different than before because God's going to shepherd us. Think about that. They had lived in their, in their, in their culture and in, their, fam, in their, their familiar land, but it still wasn't like God wanted it to be because the shepherds had not done what they were supposed to. And so God says, I will restore that. I will bring you back and I will strengthen the weak and I will bring back the strayed. I will seek the lost. I will bind up the injured and I will bring you back to your land. Even more, he says, and those who have fed themselves and strengthened themselves, he will destroy. Psalm 23 is probably the most familiar Old Testament passage on on shepherding. And we see the psalmist write this, this beautiful psalm about the Lord being our shepherd. And we see some of the same ideas that come out of 11 through 22 in Ezekiel 34 that we see in Psalm 23. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Green. Don't, don't overlook that. It's not brown or patchy pastures. It's green, lush, fruitful passages. Living pastures as opposed to dead pastures. He leads them beside still waters. You don't want to drink out of, out of waters that are washing over your face. My family went to the, the beach you know, a few weeks ago, and it's like you don't just walk down there and just put your head, not that you would drink the salt water anyway, but you're not going to stick your head down there and then a wave just crash all over you. You want to drink out of peaceful waters, waters that are not disturbed by violence or upheavals, safe waters. God, the Lord our shepherd, provides the safety, protection, and healing. And God himself presents in this passage the picture of, of what the true shepherd is like. He will seek out the lost. He will bind up the injured. He will go after those who have strayed. He will heal the sick. He will strengthen the weak. He gives them food and drink. He even protects them from themselves. In, um, let me see, verses... Seventeen through twenty-one. This is a picture of one one sheep seeking unauthorized authority over another. When the people seek to rule each other, or fight and gain power over the weak and the lean sheep, God promises to step in and rescue His sheep, saying, "They shall no longer be a prey." God restores His glory with Israel by shepherding them. He shepherds them back to his glory. And one way he does this, as we saw in Jeremiah 23, is by giving them and reinstating shepherds who would do what he wanted. So just like we see in the New Testament and we see in our church today, God has installed and placed shepherds who have been called who have been set aside for the office of of elder or bishop or overseer or pastor, as the New Testament puts it. 
But God commands, even in the New Testament, that the elders today, the shepherds today, don't rule like the ones in, Isaiah, or in uh, Ezekiel's time did. 1 Peter 5, 2-4 says, shepherd the, glo- shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Stop there. That's contrary to Israel's shepherds. They were for shameful gain. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Well, that's contrary to Israel's shepherds too. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. So how can, how can redemption's elders demonstrate an example to the flock of being shepherded? Well, the other elders shepherd us. So the other four elders here are, are my elders. They are my pastors, and they shepherd me. In the same way, I will be able to shepherd the other elders. And so as we, as we follow after the elders, the elders are following after Christ and his example. And so as you see the elders lead by example, there are times when the word of God tells us something that we need to do differently, that we realize that's not how we've been doing it. We must seek the glory of God. We need to do something different. And even the elders are required to, to follow after Christ and be shepherded themselves. And as you see that, that is the example. And hopefully it's a good example to you. He gives Israel the hope that they will be led and taken care of. So think about this. Israel messed up in a really big and long-term way. They constantly turned from God. They constantly sought after false false gods and pagan gods and false ways. Yet God still loves them. God still seeks them. God still wants to bring them back. And yes, this is just like God. We see his gracious and merciful character amid man's great and massive sin. When God calls you his people, he will not leave you. We may turn from him, but ultimately he will not turn from his people, for he cannot deny himself. So if you are truly a believer of God, you may turn and sin for a time, but you won't stay that way because God will bring you back. He will seek after you. And he will draw you unto himself. And yet again, in Ezekiel, in the middle of the Old Testament, we see another gospel thread. God creates a wonderful creation. He sets his love and attention on it. Yet that creation rejects the rule and reign of the creator God. But God doesn't leave them there. He planned before time and initiated in time a solution to man's rebellion and sin. And he orchestrates a way for man to be drawn back to God. There is hope. All is not lost. And even in the middle of a Babylonian captivity, we hear and catch a glimpse of the promised Messiah, the faithful and true shepherd, the pinnacle of the glory of God, which is our point three. From 23 through 31, we see this glorious picture of what it will be like. And ultimately, in in verse 23, God says this, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. God promises a Davidic shepherd, 
a, a, a Messiah coming from the line of David who will feed the sheep and be their shepherd. Remember in Jeremiah 23, we saw that he talks about a righteous branch of David. And he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. This sounds a little bit like the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.21, when God said, he made, or for, God, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is the Lord, our righteousness. And this is another gospel thread, the sufficiency of the Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, come to be the true shepherd of the people. And he is not concerned about himself, but about others. He himself is not like Israel's shepherds. Because it says that he has come not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the true shepherd because he lays his life down for the sheep. John 10, 11. And John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the prophecies to be the shepherd that God sent. Jesus went into the temple and read from Isaiah, claiming that he was the fulfillment to Isaiah's prophecy. When he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel. Jesus is the chief shepherd who is the head of the church. In Ezekiel 35, or 34, 25 to 31, after Christ is promised, we see this covenant of peace. And from this passage, we see that God prophesies that there will be safety and security, rest, blessing, fruitfulness, hearts that glorify God, setting free from bondage, no more fear, hunger satisfied, reproach taken away, and ultimately, God dwelling with them. And this is what we look forward to. When the Lord reigns and we are with him in glory, no longer in the world cursed by sin, we will know fully the blessings of peace, rest, hunger satisfied, reproach taken away, and dwelling with God face to face. And the reason that this passage is so important for us today is there are glimpses of this peace and freedom from bondage and freedom from fear that can be realized here and now. Little beams of heaven that come down and show us that that peace can be somewhat realized today. That hope is here today. We can have new life, and it begins today. For all those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God, 
We enter the flock of God where ultimately the shepherd, Jesus Christ, is the chief shepherd. And oh, how sweet it is to follow this shepherd, the good shepherd. But here and now in the church, God has established pastors and elders to be the under-shepherds, so to speak. The shepherds visible to us here and now who are men entrusted to God, trusted by God to know, feed, lead, and protect his sheep. Men indwelt by the Holy Spirit and set apart for the work of the ministry, called to the office of elder or pastor. So in conclusion today, I want us to think about, uh, I want to, to speak to two different people. First of all, the elders in the room. The shepherds in our passage were held accountable for the people of God. And ultimately, God removed them from their service for failure to lead and care for the flock. This is a challenge, a warning, a resounding message to the elders at Redemption. You were called to know this flock. You were called to feed this flock. You were called to lead and protect this flock. But... Look to the chief shepherd as you follow him, and as he leads you, so lead this flock. There's a pastor named Paul Tripp who had the idea of what we call, or what he calls, spiritual Macy's. Think about that. Spiritual Macy's, like the department store. We go to Macy's and we find a nice dress shirt, and we or to find a nice dress shirt, and we look around for the shirts that they have there, but they just don't match the idea of the shirt that we want. There's absolutely nothing hindering us or demanding that we only shop at Macy's. We're not bound by Macy's to be their only customers. And so we go next door to JCPenney's or Dillard's or Kohl's and look for a shirt. And today, people don't see themselves as part of a thing. Rather, they see themselves as receivers of a thing. So when a church doesn't match the exact picture that they had in their head, they go and look for a different one that will satisfy them rather than being led to grow and mature and serve in the flock that God has placed them. And church, when you are called out of sin and made a child of God, when you become a believer and join a church, you commit to being a part of that church rather than simply being a receiver of the benefits of that church which means you are held accountable to follow the leadership of that church as, they, as you trust that they are following the leading of the chief shepherd. And you unite with the people that are sitting next to you, the people of God receiving teaching and leadership and protection, and you join with those people. And you learn how to bear their burdens and encourage them and help them from the very scriptures that you've been led by and fed from by the the shepherds who are at redemption. So ultimately, shepherding is a glory issue. God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he's telling him, Israel has lost my glory. Israel has rejected my ways. They have turned from me. And we are all shepherded to give glory to God. That is the whole purpose. Do everything you do, for the purpose of glorifying God. But shepherding is also a heart issue. Elders are to know, feed, lead, and protect the flock, and thereby destroy the idols of the heart and acknowledge that God, is God, the great I am, is the Lord. 
And so we serve alongside of you, and we guide you to help you see from the scriptures that God is the great I am, that he is the Lord, so that that you are able to repent of, of the things that you may be struggling with or the ways that you may be in rebellion to the creator God. And you may be sitting in here today and think, you know, I have... I've always been living in rebellion towards God. He has never sat on the throne of my heart. I have never had the burden of sin lifted off my shoulders. And you do not know what true freedom is. But the word of God commands you to repent and trust in Christ who is the chief shepherd. For currently, you stand condemned for your rebellion. But Christ, the perfect man, died, the perfect God-man, died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for your rebellion. And as it says in Corinthians, God is making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We don't only know the righteousness of God in Christ, but we become the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow. Over the next few weeks, we will hear about knowing the sheep and feeding the sheep and leading the sheep and protecting the sheep. And I pray that that you would join with us and, and be here each week to understand what the Bible talks about these different things so that you can hear from our other elders on, on those specific ideas. And ultimately, you will hear from the chief shepherd as he preaches to us from his word. But I close with this. I think this hymn is a, um, a perfect example of, of what we have been talking about and looking at this morning. That Christ is our chief shepherd. And we sing this hymn here at at Redemption, and if you know the words, the words won't be on the screen, but if you know the words, follow along and sing with me. We'll only sing one verse, but this is in Christ alone. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand.